Hey, this is Rob, and welcome to question number 66. Why will John Fields never hire me? <laughs> it's my conversation. Oh, man, I'm so bummed about this conversation. It's my conversation with the legendary producer and musician, John Fields. I feel like at the beginning of this podcast, I used to I used to do a disclaimer. Hey, you know, this isn't, I want to be clear as, oh, yeah. as we're starting this podcast. This is not a music podcast. This is a podcast. Yeah about the search for what it means to live a curious life. I believe every person I meet in the world has something that I can learn from them. And this podcast is almost my excuse to reach out to people I wouldn't normally sit down with. That said, when I started this podcast, people, I asked friends I respect, and I said, who do you, who do you think I should have on this podcast? Who would be a great guest? And one name that kept coming up in the music circles over and over again is you have to have John Fields on this podcast. Oh my gosh, look at Luna. Is she dead? Nunu. Nunu. Are you okay? We're going to take a pause for a second. And uh, Sarah's going to pet one of our cats. And while she does that, let's, I'll, just, I'll just play the theme song. When I think of you, I think of an amalgamy of different things that you do, like the the bass playing. Is there something that you do that you wish you got hired to do more? It's funny because you said bass playing. A skill that I have that I've built over the years, and I built it early, and it just came from no budget to hire outside musicians, was bare bones music playing on sessions because they were my mm. sessions. But yeah. nobody, Rob... Nobody hires me to play bass on their session. Nobody. I can't think of anyone who has ever hired me to play bass. That said, I've played tens of thousands of bass tracks on songs. Yeah. Just lucky in that sense. And you've, it solves, it. you've had to piece it together. It solves a huge works. problem, yeah. which is don't have to ever have to hire a bass player. Yeah. You know, as oh, yeah. a bass player, you yeah. know this. The most important thing on any song is probably the singing and the bass. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. What are you asking me? Are you talking to me? What are you? Pop quiz, hot shot. Do you Okay, we're back. She's alive. She's alive. One of our cats looked like she was dead. She's forlorn. She was forlorn. That was a very forlorn face she was making. Uh, we are sitting at our dining room table recording this intro. But before we dive in, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, my name's Rob Morgan. For the past decade, I've been traveling the world as a bassist and music director. This is my podcast where I... Catch your breath. Catch your breath. I'm out of breath. I started, I started mid-breath. This is my podcast where I sit down over drinks on location with intriguing people I've met to try and get past what it is they do to find out who they are, why they do it, and what I can learn from them. I'm joined, as always, by my wife, my friend, the cat whisperer, the cat healer, Sarah. Cat healer. That's an upgrade. Sarah, you know, when I get home and 
uh, is a hot day. It's been a hot week. It's so far. like 90, yeah. It's like 90 degrees. You know, I come home and I see the cats. They are lethargic. Mm-hmm. We've got the AC running, but oftentimes they still look like they are they alive? Are they just <laughs> sleeping? It induces a mild uh, temporary panic. When I'm checking on the cats, nothing nothing quenches a thirst post, post lethargic cat, cat checking up on. Oh, this is a dumb bit. Like Guinness. Can I offer you Guinness? I would love a Guinness. Mm, sounds refreshing. Mm, I am so glad we don't have to deal with sponsors on this podcast or else I would have to tell you out of all the crappy beers in the world, rated from crappiest to least crappy, Guinness is the least crappy beer in the history of mankind. Sarah, do you have a Guinness fact for us? Okay, actually... Make it up. I'm putting you on the spot. Make up a Guinness fact. If you apply Guinness, in particular the foam of Guinness, to an open wound, you will shorten the healing time by 50%. Do you know why? Why? Because Guinness is filled with iron. Oh. Okay. There is iron in Guinness, actually. I will give you that. Uh, But... That other part is a load of crap. But it won't hurt to apply it to an open wound. Uh, so no disclaimers I'm needed. Gonna say, I'm going to say... Mm, People put honey on burns. Well, yeah. But that's a natural substance. Okay. But not Moving vegan. Uh, I just like to say that I'm so glad we don't have sponsors because, you know, what I hate most of all in the world is free stuff and money. So I am so glad that we don't have any sponsors. I am so glad nobody is sending us any sort of compensation beer. or free compensation. beer because I hate both of those. I'm so glad we don't have to deal with any thank you letters on the back end of any sort of compensation. This is this is just a completely forced transition. But speaking of people sending us things, hey, listen, if you are listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, you know, I have, I have money burning a hole in my bank account. <laughs> the, I, w- I would love to support the podcast, but they don't have Patreon. There's no donation, pay, donation, denomination. There's no donation, mm, denomination, donation. or... <laughs> Uh, any, any of the or, sort, Dalmatian. or Dalmatian page. If one or more of these conversations has uh, been entertaining or has inspired you, here's three things you can do. Number Besides one. Besides sending us free beer. If the spirit leads you, listen. There are four things you could do to this podcast. Number one, the very most important, free beer. <laughs> if you live in Minneapolis, if you want to get a hold of us, get a hold of me. I'll, I'll give you my mailing address to our home in Minneapolis if you want to send us free beer. I don't know if I'm joking about that, but you can reach out to thecuriouspod.com slash contact. In all seriousness, number one, if you want to help out the podcast, if one of these conversations has been inspiring to you or you've enjoyed it, share it with a friend of yours. Copy the link, text it to a friend. Number two, what is number two? Go on iTunes, rate and comment on this podcast. That helps us. Third is I just want to hear from you. I want this to be your podcast. So call into the podcast hotline. The number is in the show notes below or at 612-584-9330. You can call or text in. Uh, by the way, shout out to Kevin. Kevin texted the podcast hotline. I was going to text him back today and respond because I do respond to these uh, when I when I do have time, but Kevin said, "Hey, this is Kevin listening from Memphis, Tennessee. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the podcast today. Really enjoyed the perspective." Kevin, shout out to you! Thank you for reaching out. 
thanks for making this podcast your podcast and joining in on the conversation. Do you have anything else? What is, is there a personal Do those ask? things or you will die. <laughs> Let's move on. Moving on. I am so pumped about this week's guest. If you're not familiar with John Fields, Maybe you've heard of some of the people he's worked with. The Commodores, the Rembrandts, Andrew W.K., Semisonic, Switchfoot, Mandy Moore, Pink, the Jonas Brothers, Lifehouse, Jimmy World, Rooney, Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato. That's a good list. John is best known for producing the Jonas Brothers, the albums that launched them into stardom. He produced like Switchfoot. I grew up with Switchfoot. I love that band. Shout out to Tim Foreman. Great dude. Tim? Tim Foreman. I thought it was John. John Foreman is the lead singer. Oh. Tim Foreman is his brother and the bassist. See, no one fucking remembers the bass player. No, well, who's Tim? I don't know. I never heard of him. <laughs> Come on, you. You also. I don't know if you're. If you were a Switchfoot fan, I was. But you just know John but Foreman. But regular the fans yes. don't know Come anything. Come on, love which for is the what's bass so sad about the bass players. I'm not saying Tim's not awesome. Tim's probably the most awesome, and I don't even know about Tim, him. Tim, I... Rob Morgan? I, I don't know. I never heard of his place, pal. Tim Foreman is the most awesome. Man, he is such a crazy, incredibly talented bassist. Super melodic lines. This is a music episode, so I'm going to fangirl. He, mm. He's the man. That's a great example. So I originally, my, my interactions with John started is because of my reaching out to John. A lot of people don't know him. Uh, the way I became aware of him as a bassist. I was hoping you would go into your story when you first met him. Should I tell that story? Well, okay, I will say... It's really funny. I met John Fields because Dan Rodriguez, uh, who is a buddy of mine, singer-songwriter... And previous guest on the podcast. He's been on the podcast. Dan recorded an album with John Fields producing. What that means, Dan hiring John to produce the album, means me who has I've been playing bass with Dan for years. I've been playing on all of Dan's full band albums since he's been doing that for like the past decade, essentially. Dan goes off, records an album with John. I didn't get a call to play on one of my closest friend's uh, albums. He didn't hire me because he played bass on the entire album. John There's, Fields did? John Fields oh, does. Right. I had no hard feelings towards it because I know this is how this is how the world works. And we actually, in this conversation, dive into this unknowingly. Why We talk about why John doesn't hire bassists. So here's the deal. I want to, I'm so pumped about this conversation. Let's dive right into it. In tomorrow's episode, directly after this conversation, because I don't want to go into... I want to tell I want to tell the story properly. Uh, but if you listen to this conversation and you want to hear my story about how I met John Fields while wearing only underwear and sn- snow boots. That's basically the story. That's basically the story. Why I did that. There was a very specific reason if John happens to listen to our own interview, the re- I'm going to give the reason snow boots and underwear. why I met John Fields wearing my underwear. In his studio. I showed up to his studio wearing underwear. I'm going to tell that story tomorrow, so check back in. Uh, But as for now, this is my conversation with John Fields in South Minneapolis over iced coffee, if anybody's curious. So this is crunching along all day long. Hear that that fan and stuff? It's like my computer drives and stuff. But I mean, I always have it on. Is that bugging you? No, not at all. 
Does it does it bug you when you're tracking in here, or do you turn no, it off, or I what don't. do you? I know, I just leave. I don't care. <clears throat> I mean, I sing a lot of shit right sitting, you know, with this mic. I have like a mic. Yes. I mean, but again, I don't really care. But okay. audio quality. <laughs> I do, but I don't. Yeah, that's so funny. Okay, tell me this then. You seem like this amalgamy when it comes to creating stuff in music where, uh, from not really, I say like I know you or something really well, but I feel like I get this vibe that you are this balance between not giving a shit in some ways, like where other people worry about like this, some nitty gritty details, and then on the other end, really giving a shit about the quality and diving in and nerding out about... Like really, okay. Does this note are these, is this balanced? Like, do you feel like you like fit, like somewhere in between when it comes to? Yeah, I don't think I'm that consistent with that. <laughs> and but I definitely, okay. it's like dealer's choice on that. Sometimes I'm like the mic matters yeah, yeah, yeah. and the pick that you're using. That, you should try a medium pick. And then yeah. sometimes I'm like, I don't care, dude. So it's it's weird. It's a it's a sliding scale of giving a shit, I guess. Yeah. Just based on literally the day or the task at hand and all the experience of having done those different, you know, overdubbing or whatever it is that we're working on. Yes. I mean, part of having your own studio, and I've had my own, I mean, I basically have had my own studio since 20, 25 years. Okay. Other than the times when I would go out to a more pro place, or, or you yeah. know, if you're in L.A., we would go to cello ocean way conway or the highway we used to dorian and i used to say conway or the highway we love that place yes but you know when you go to some other studio then you're saying where's my where's the where's the where's my picks where's my i don't know yeah, where yeah. anything is you're and you're, you're like mise en place but, but like chef say like, you, you would know have everything a, is you have a studio yeah. assistant at a place like that okay. who is ready to to set up that amazing neumann u67 for you which you rarely get to use because you don't have a Neumann U67 yes. yeah. at home at your or even at your home's home studio, you know, own yeah, studio. Yeah. So that's when I would be able to fool around with things like, hey, let's put a pair of U67s as the overheads through a Fairchild, <laughs> yeah, which they have, and, yeah. and then how about a pair of Pultex? Yeah. You know, it must be nice to own <laughs> a pair of Poltex. Yeah, yes. it's you just so, like in a candy shop, just like whatever you can think of. I, I love those experiences. Blackbird Studio in Nashville yeah. would give me those options. Yep. And uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just as comfortable making a record through a pair of crappy overhead mics through a Mackie mixer. Yeah. So it's. If that's all we have, if you that's have what we options, do. You're yeah, down I, I for it. It. So when you have your own studio, I'm saying, I guess your go tos are already there. So I'm set up here to track everything the way I like it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'll change. I'm bored with this. Let's try a different set of overheads. Let's try a different vocal yeah. mic. But essentially, I've had the same chains on all of my main instruments for yeah. years. Sweet. Same same mic pre, same compressor. Every once in a while, we'll try try something. something every once in a while, something will come along. Yeah. Like I heard you saying something about the uh, the noble. The noble that was new. That came yeah. in three years ago. Yeah. Before that, I was using uh, Sansam RBI and yes. a Bass Pod XT, which I loved. Classic yes. rock one A preset. Yes. I mean, on all my records from probably that's the line six one, right? Line the, six, the rack, it has yep. to be the XT. The XT, okay. The 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 if it's not XT, it's not the same modeling technology. Yeah. But that particular preset, classic rock one A, 
was <laughs> the sound of my bass probably between, I don't know, 2001 and 2016. Yes. Yeah. Um, on everything. Yeah. I mean, even I never tracked through bass amps. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of experience. Oh, you never tracked through nah. bass amp. Man. Even back in the day, Jimmy Anton once was like, you got to use the Sansamp bass driver. You yeah. Know, the, the little black and yellow. Uh, yes. Yep. So that was probably like 1991 <laughs> when I met Jim. So you got that and, and then that stuck. Well, yeah. it was so much better than going direct. I mean, direct, uh, as you know, as a bass player, is yeah. pretty unimpressive. Oh, yeah. Like, ooh. Yes, if that's what my bass sounds like. Yep. How about add some bass yeah. to the bass? You know? yeah, yeah. So the the bass the the Sansamp pedal was the first one that really did that for me, and uh, I used it on on everything until yeah. we met the, until the Line Six stuff started coming out, and yes. that was like late '90s. And back at the time, I feel like we were playing with the Rembrandts or doing something with the Rembrandts, and the Rembrandts had a Line Six endorsement, so we all okay. got new line six gear and i just became a huge fan and then of course they make the greatest plug-in in pro tools of all time which is called echo farm oh and that was yeah. after amp farm they th that was the first yeah amp. is that a line six yeah echo line farm six is? Yeah. oh sweet i didn't know that man i saw and this isn't gonna be this isn't like a gear rig rundown no. man okay the reason the, here's why i wanted this is funny that we're talking about gear because I wanted to, I just assumed, I made all these assumptions. We we're going to sit down and chat. And I, I have all these assumptions of the questions. Because you've done interviews, a ton of interviews before. I have all these assumptions of what people, people must go to and ask you. And like all these like like the gear questions. Okay, so in here, can we just uh, one by one run down all your, uh, your rack units and stuff like that? But I'm interested in the way you think about gear and approach it. And do you, uh, it seems like it's just kind of, gear seems transient to you like you just the ownership of gear you don't put a lot of it it almost feels like things don't impress you if someone came in with like the coolest rig or something it's like no this gear isn't you as an artist or musician it's all transient you can rent it at ocean way do you have you always felt that kind of, that way or am i off there again with a sliding scale yeah uh, as i was saying like this kid i was working with last month brought in an acoustic guitar that I had never heard of. The company yeah, yeah. is called Rockbridge, yes. I believe. Yeah. And what's that? And he starts playing it and it's incredible. Yeah. And I played it and it's incredible. And I've never heard of this company from Virginia. And you know, so you get hipped to new stuff yes. all the time. There was there was a band from the Bay Area that came in, Iron Tom, and the Dylan, the drummer from that band, had these things called sim pads. They were these circles okay. of foam yeah. about three inches in you know in circumference that you put under the symbol on the symbol stand and it turns the symbol down in volume by 20 30 percent so for like a crash riding hell yes it's yes. just like quieter my dream the has same, come like true still it's not the tone is still there I, like some will say it chokes uh, the symbol, but yeah, yeah. for me in the studio please less crashing please Really, Less yeah. crashing, if yes. you can. You know, so this, is that gear? Yeah, yeah. It's a piece of foam. <laughs> yeah, but it's so. changing the sound of what we're doing, and I really yes. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, back to this groove gear. Hell yeah. Fret, what are they called? Like a fret mute, fret neck mutes, mute. These straps string, that you put on mute. your bass and your string guitar. String mute is, I think, what it yeah, is. Yeah, so they, yeah, yeah. they, you know, back in the day, you, you know, I have taped 
I've yes. I put a bandana. I put like a sock. Yes. I put a T-shirt over. But this finally they invented a thing that's real easy with a piece of Velcro on it. Yeah. And you strap it on, and all of a sudden, all your strings don't ring. So yeah, brilliant new inventions like that. I, I they love just those. constantly find. But I find out because yeah. I'm working with a band, and one guy has a cool guitar that I've never had the opportunity to play. Yeah. So. And all of a sudden, I'm way into it, and then I buy one, and then that's why I have all this stuff. And it doesn't get you get super into it. Now. I'm gonna yeah. buy twenty and put it all on my. Guitar. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> I suffer from you know gear envy, just like everyone else. Yes. And, and get on that, I get on Sweetwater and I get on Amazon. Yes. And I just start. I need a banjo. Like, yes, I'm buying that one right now, yes. and it shows up. So I do have a lot of stuff like that, but in terms of the studio gear, like that's music gear. I would okay, yeah, yeah. say there's two different sides to to my life one is the music making mm. materials that's keyboards and guitars and and then there's the studio side the microphones the mic pre's the plugins yeah the new ssd computer chassis and it can change you know for me when I moved over to a trackball from a mouse mm -hmm. 20 years ago to the Kensington Expert mouse, which is actually a trackball, even though it's called an expert mouse. Yes. It, is that the one with the ball rolling on top? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. It increased my productivity. I can't even say how much, but so much in terms of whipping around a document and just being able to d click and move and, and paste. And, and it really, I mean, I'm sure it's doubled my yes. you know, prolificity. Oh man! I'm so little things like yes. that are huge Hell for yes. me. That I'm said, so pumped you said that. Last time, yeah, gearing more time, musicking. Yes, is it is a balance between the two because you kind of have to at some point in time. It's it's fun. I don't know the. It is really enjoyable. There's that part of you that wants to like A, B, and okay, these strings, I'm going to put these strings on the guitar and then take them off, put another strings, yeah. track it, and maybe like uh, I've, I've spent time, you know, tracking through this cable and finding the length of a cable that's what's the perfect sure. bass cable length. And it's, I, that's why I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because at the same time, if you don't, I don't, I don't know, I'm just assuming that if you don't have that um, period of your life or that curiosity, in the gear, something that's driving you enough to nerd out about the fine-tuning fine details, you're never going to extend your artistry and have a, like a career in this. But at the same time, there's a cutoff point where you say, oh man, it doesn't really matter. It's that balancing thing. Like you almost like for me, it goes in waves. It's funny, when I started doing this, of course, I had the most gear envy because yeah. I had the worst gear. Okay, yeah. And so, and I learned pretty organically about studio gear i didn't really have there was there was a mentor i had here in minneapolis named chuck zwicky okay who was a guy a couple years older than me that was and is just a fantastic engineer mixer producer yeah. gear designer he was the first guy that ever told me you can put a compressor on the mix of course i'm thinking really well, who I'm, does that, that that's a that's allowed <laughs> And of course, I'd only had a DBX terrible compressor, but I started experimenting with that, and I realized that's the sound of ELO, my favorite band, or you know, yes, I'm like that's how you do it. And because, to be honest, back you know in the late '80s here in Minneapolis, I, I mean, I didn't work at a studio, I didn't come up 
I don't, not that that's the regular way to come up as a producer, but a lot of people come up through being an assistant or working at a studio, yeah, learning from experts. Yes. I didn't really get to do that. Um, I had a mentor, my, another mentor, my uncle Steve, Stephen Greenberg, who basically gave me all his gear when I moved to Minneapolis and said, here, you figure it out. Take it. And every once in a while he'd come over and say, turn up the treble, make it hurt. Stuff like that. But it wasn't he wasn't a super gear guy in terms yeah, of okay. studio stuff. He was a good mixer and all, yeah, yeah. but it was by feel. It wasn't by, we need a tube compressor on this, we need a this on this. On this album, they use this specific chain, yeah. so we're going to emulate that. Uh, Zwicky we're going was for. the guy that got, that taught me about particulars in studio yeah, yeah. and, you know, phasing. I didn't even know about yeah, yeah. phasing. Like, why do these overheads sound weird? And Zwicky's like, because they're out of phase Yes, with the snare drum. Press this one button and all of a sudden everything gets good. So uh, thanks, Chuck, if you yeah, ever if you listen to this. But, uh, Shout out to you, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, so gear, I mean, it matters and it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I, look, I have done all those A-B-ing between strings. It just, I'm not doing it in an hour in a studio. I'm not going to take an hour and try yeah. different strings and then take them off and try different strings. I'm, but over time, yeah, yeah. I have been doing that my whole life Yes, and have surmised what I like and what I don't like yes. and what would be good for this situation and what would you be good for that. you figured out what works, what doesn't yeah. work. And, and, and all, it's, it's bullshit, too. It's like that sometimes, even that is bullshit. Just yeah. Bullshit is bullshit. Nothing really matters. Yes. And everything matters, which is, as Julius Collins oh, says, that's... everything is everything. Yes. Every, everything so matters. So I'm open to change. Yes, I also I like to work that. fast. Yeah. Uh, I love it when someone has a great new piece of gear that I've never seen before, and it's amazing, and it's in tune, and, I, and it sounds good. Yeah. I mean, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you don't have that, I have a guitar that will work for you if, you, yeah. if you're working with me. And uh, I had learned... You know, early on, that having a good acoustic guitar that can play all the chords in tune, it's probably a good thing to have at your studio. Yes. Because when somebody brings over their crappy one, it and you can't play C chords and A chords, maybe you should try my Martin. <laughs> and so I started hey, doing that for it's every so instrument. So gentle. Why don't you? Well, uh, why you know? Here's a suggestion. Uh, and over the time, you just start amassing yeah. quality items yeah and that you know. and you know the things that work sure. here so oh man okay that i think you just hit on something that i don't f i personally have not heard people talk about when it comes to sessions uh you know when people talk about uh, when you're up and coming the things you learn we talk about we talk about gear we talk about playing whatever but speed how important is moving fast for you in the studio for like whether it's just yourself or other musicians, how much do you do you is that something you value? It it's sounds like it is. It's the most. I don't know if it's the most important thing, but it's it's up there. I don't like being slowed down by guitars that are out of, out of tune or a bad snare drum or and that usually comes down to the musician. It's like can if you are playing a bad snare drum and it's going oh oh <laughs> oh. If you don't know that's happening, that could be the problem, not the snare drum. Uh, yeah, yeah. Most incredible drummers I've ever worked with. That's the scariest with thing. Is know that, are that. you not hearing it? If that's the scariest yeah. thing. It's well, not scaring if, me that's making that or noise. Or if you're not you hearing don't... that that chord is out of tune, then I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe. There's, there's nothing I can do here. You know, 
So oh. I find that my favorite sessions are, go fast because the musicians themselves or the singers are just intuitive about what should happen, about what's good. Yeah. You know, you just can tell when someone plays drums intuitively yeah. and like tune drums and, you know, or, or it, all that. So it's, it's I guess, what, so what working is, fast. What's, what's something, yeah, like what is, the, is there something that comes to mind? Like what's, is there something that comes to mind that is the biggest culprit of slowing things down in a session to you? There's so many things that can do that. You know, one of my favorite things to do is a singer, a songwriter brings in a song that they've never demoed before, that they just wrote recently. Yeah, yeah. They play it on their guitar. They play it on the piano. They don't have any preconceived notions about what it should be, what it could be, what the beat is, what, you know, tempo... All that, I love That's so Probably my favorite thing to do is work on a blank canvas where there's has been no, not a lot of work done on that music before with a really excellent artist. So on the other hand, you have a band of five players who have pre-proed and worked out their parts and already played it live at shows and have, yes, they're have married cemented to the their parts. ways yes. into this particular bass line, this particular drum fill. I do like it when all those decisions are good. Yeah. But when they're not, you now have a situation where your your people are kind of cemented again into this corner and it's harder for them to get out, you know. And that's why again, not that it's better, but working with experienced session musicians who can hear the arrangement one time, get a vibe for what we're talking about. Like, we want it to be like this-ish, or we're all listening to, you know, Black Keys right now. Let's go that direction or yes. something. And they're on the same, they're and able to be on just, the same page. All, as, yes. Yeah, we're all on the same page, and there's, like, these boundaries for what kind of drum fill, what kind of drum sound, what kind of guitar, yeah. what reverb, et cetera. They and get I, your references. when you're. Yeah. I'm kind of feeling this vibe, and they I know what you're so looking for. Yep. That's when you're working with pro sesh bows, basically. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I would say most of the success I've had as a producer has been with not professional session musicians and been with, you know, rock bands that have been together since ninth grade. Is there a band that comes to mind that has the, like, that they're on both sets of the spectrum where they are, you're talking about like the most successful like rock band situation that you that you worked with. I would almost say every band I've ever worked with because rarely is there a super session player in a band. Just that I can't think of one where someone who's in a rock band that's successful is also out there playing drums on other people's records and playing guitars on sessions. I mean, you might hear like Mike Campbell from Tom Petty Band was out playing on a Dixie Chicks album, but that was, you know, a casting decision by the producer. Mm. Uh, and he's a great guitar player. We all know that. We all love him. But he's not the guy like Steve Lukather or Tim Pierce getting calls to come in and play on nine songs today and this, you know, with all the different genres. I mean, I recently found this playlist on Spotify of Jeff, of uh, Steve Lukather from Toto, the guitar player who, you know, he played on Beat It. He mm. played on Physical by Olivia Newton-John, The Solo. Yes. He played on, of course, All Toto and just tons and tons of music. 
10,000 songs. Somebody put together a playlist on all the Spotify oh, that geez. even he himself, I think, didn't remember half of those tunes that he played oh, on. So because brilliant. you're going to a session. Yeah. It's 37 years ago. You play three songs in one day. None of them are hits. They're on somebody's record. Yeah. So that's really the deep, deep trenches of session work yeah. where you know, you're just so on autopilot musically that whatever you do is just going to be good. You're solving problems constantly. So I'm just saying, generally speaking, band members are not those people. Yeah. And they're coming from a different angle when you're in the studio, which is, hey, 10 months out of the year, we're on the road. Yeah. Playing these songs that we're about to record or that are... That, yes. Again. We have... And again. And again. this sound. It yep. gets cooler and cooler as... As the band progresses and gets into their sixth, seventh, tenth, twelfth album, now they're plucking from, you know, 140 songs from which they can play at, at shows. It's it's really cool at that point. But generally speaking, the first couple records for a band, they're young. Yeah. They probably haven't been in a studio that much. Yeah. They most likely haven't been with a producer. Yeah. That much. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and those were a lot of my most successful records. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be honest, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking of Switchfoot. Yep. Jonas Brothers. I think I made Switchfoot's third album, fourth album. I mean, they, they were exceptional for, for being that young. And, and Jonas was 14, 15, 17. Yeah. So they really hadn't been through much in a studios yeah but yeah what's, what's the difference between okay those two let's take like a switch foot when you first started working with them uh at that younger age what and then now them in the studio right now yeah, I mean, what's totally like the biggest difference it's funny because i just i i recently made their 10th album so i made the third fourth a little of the fifth and the tenth so on the on the first time i ever worked with them we there was no computer skills yeah, yeah. pro tools skills by anyone in the band they had a little eight-track thingy Roland recording mm-hmm. device that they made their demos on, which we used a lot of stuff. Was that like those. Legend of Chin? No, it was Eric? called was that the Beautiful Letdown. Beautiful Letdown, yeah. Oh and, hell yeah! Uh, a but tiny, they were it's not just a, t- a tiny kind of like indie album. Yeah, I hear you. They, they were <laughs> not computer. Yeah, they. I mean, I'm sure they used computers for email and so forth, but they were not on Pro Tools because yeah. it was more expensive to have it. I don't know why, but yeah. they were out playing gigs. Yeah. And they don't need it. Yeah. I mean, so at that point, so they're, they were 23, 24, 25 years old. And so I did all that. I sat in the control room. I didn't play that much music on that record. I mean, a lot of times I'll play a lot of guitars and keyboards. That record, not that much, very little. Fast forward 15 years later, we get in the studio again. It's now their studio. Yes. We made the that record in San Diego. At that point, they've already built a complex down in San Diego where all their rehearsals, their management, their merch, their recording studio. It's an it. office the for them. Thing. Yes. And they treat it like going to work every day. And they asked me to do that 10th record. And I remember going down into their studio for the first time. And incredible. They yeah. had everything. And on top of all that... They're all Pro Tools experts at this okay, point. Yeah, They're yeah. all editing 
fixing, punching themselves in. I would leave at 10 p.m. at night, go back to the hotel, and yeah. I'd come back in the morning, and there'd be all these new vocals and new parts and backwards things and all these chop, 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 chop things. And yes. Really fun, fun edits that it was refreshing, actually, that, you know, in, in their case, to, to, to just add to the creativity and just to go farther. They, they kept wanting to go farther. Yeah. When you're on your 10th record, you don't want to just make... The last one again, you want to go farther. You want to try something new. Yeah. So, man, it was cool that now they have those. I mean, they've had them for a while, but I'm just saying that's the difference between the beginning and and later in your career is. Yeah. And I think now most kids in bands probably know how to use Logic or Ableton or something. Yes. It's so much more. I'm thinking about that the year that came out and the technology that was around then, and the technology. Everybody has a recording, the ability to record. Yeah. Now, we. What are your thoughts on that? We live in a time. Do you think anything's being lost musically at all, or do you, do you think more power to it? It's it's, uh, it's all it's, completely better. It's happening in every facet of life. That's the thing. It's not just music. It's film. It's. It's everybody has a professional camera on in their pocket. It's yes, Amazon. It's yeah. instant gratification. Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, the dream was to be like go to a recording studio and see what it's like. Yeah, this is like the early '80s, mid '80s, and I was lucky enough to have a, an uncle who worked in recording studios. So he brought me in when I was 15 years old. Strangely, to this room. Really? This room we're sitting in right oh, now. Oh, it's so crazy. Uh, I was 15 or 16, yeah. and he brought me in here for spring break. I lived in Boston, but I came out to Minneapolis for spring break, and he was cutting a lip sync song or two. And by then, I was already head over heels into music and playing and everything, but I wasn't good or anything. But he invited me to come out for spring break and basically hang with him, and we did it here in this room with... With Steve Weiss, who is now my landlord and the yeah. guy who owns this complex. Yeah. So that oh, was... that's so funny. Yeah, 35 years ago. Yes. So um, the dream, as uh, you know, is like be in a studio, see what it's like. You're imagining what does Thin Lizzy look like when they're playing back, Boys Are Back in Town? What, what, like you're in your brain, you're like, what does that even look like? You see them on... on on stage on MTV or something and that's about all you get. Yeah. There's no like in studio footage and, yep. and there, there was no behind the scenes. But I've just that, that was always my thing. It's like what does it look like? What is happening? What is being said between the producer and the singer to get Bruce Springsteen mm. to sing Born in the USA, higher, better, more emotion, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And I still don't know. Yeah. To okay. be honest, because they don't have footage of that. But I know having you know having gone into that yeah now what I say to people yeah what do you say to someone I don't know <laughs> yeah. I have no idea yeah you got to ask them yeah uh, it's it's always just in the moment I, you know is there a, is there a personal hmm. I want how, I want I want to really think about how I'm gonna frame this question is there a like a personality trait or a people skill or some kind of or just in skill in general that you have now that if you could go back in time to the young person, you would convey this is one of the most important things I wish I would have known when I was younger or that people don't think of when it comes to your job. I don't think Working so. I honestly think I'm the same. Yeah, I'm pretty outspoken in terms of my opinion. 
maybe that's part of it. It's just not being afraid to say that's out of tune. Have you always have you yeah, always, always have you always been like good at not beating around the bush? Sometimes just... with it, to be honest, the higher the celebrity star power, you get a little bit you get a little weirded out by that. I have personally, yeah, you know, just your 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 your, que- your uh, suggestions start getting a little longer. Well, hey, you're, you're, you know, if you, you know, I've never worked good. with yeah. like an all out superstar, say like Sting or Elton John or something. But I feel like if I did, I'd probably be a little more careful. Okay, with how I dismissed that last take. <laughs> so I don't know that there's a, a, a skill set or anything, but I've always been pretty quick with my opinions. And I, I guess maybe that's the other thing. It's just being commitment to an idea. To have a damn opinion I don't about know something. what says that drum fill is the wrong fill into the second chorus. But something in my brain goes, nah, what else we got? Digga, 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 digga. You know, should it just be a machine gun 16th note fill? Or should it, you know... Booze, good at doing the Motown fill or what? But something, I guess it's called instinct, says it should be different than what you're doing. Try this. Or love what you're doing. Great. Moving mm-hmm. on. So that maybe that's part of uh, the, the the trait that you need to, yes. to, to sit in this chair. Okay. I think you're hitting on something that I it's I have been I'm naturally shit at and I'm wondering if you if that's just a natural thing for you or if that's like there was a season of your life that you learned because it sounds like what you're talking about is trusting yourself like to trust your opinion and not second guess yourself have you always confidence I think that's just I think people call that confidence yes (laughs) have you is that a nat does that come natural or is that was there like a a only in this room or something yeah (laughs) I mean oh yeah yeah okay I I know just it's weird. When I came up as a musician, I knew that I was never going to be some sort of virtuoso. At I watched all the people around me just soloing, and I mean, even I can't even play that opening riff for Johnny B. Good. Yeah, I want to. I mean, I still, I probably, if I spent twenty minutes, I probably could figure it out. But I just, I can get there. I never got into playing fast. I still cannot do it. Yeah. Um. I just knew that that was not going to be my calling, being uh, like a soloing over the changes guy. Uh, or yeah. when I was growing up, yeah, there was Eddie Van Halen. I was like, no way is that going to happen. I love Eddie Van Halen. I love Van Halen and what yeah. they're doing. But I know friends of mine that do and can do it, like my friend Peter Thorne, can play Eddie Van Halen solos with the exact gear and the exact touch and the exact yes. pedal and the you know, and it sounds just like it. And he's got all the cliches. So I've done that in my yeah. own way for yeah. like Paul McCartney, and I can play like McCartney style. Like you say, you want Beatle bass? I'm your man. You I got know? it. I know exactly. Exactly. Where I'm the I same got the sound. Yep. I know how to do it. I know how to mute the bass. I just have the instinct to do that. Why? I don't know. I love where this went because it makes me think of, because that's why, that's when I think of you. I think of an amalgamy of different things that you do, like the the bass playing, uh, and I mean that's what was my I your bass playing for me was my first introduction to you. And then I was like, oh, he also does stu- some studio stuff, too, on the side, uh, <laughs> not knowing what he really did. And I, so I love this thought of amalgamy of these different interests. Is there something that you do um, that you wish, like in this whole amalgamy of session playing, musicianship, that you do that you wish you got hired to do more? That's funny, because you said bass playing. A skill that I have that I've built over the years, and I built it early, and it just came from no budget to hire outside musicians was bare bones 
music playing on sessions because they were my mm. sessions. But yeah. nobody, Rob, nobody hires me to play bass on their session. Nobody. I can't think of anyone who has ever hired me to play bass in yeah. a session okay. that I have not produced. But that said, I've played tens of thousands of bass tracks on songs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm lucky in that I have that skill to play. I always know what the bass should play. Yeah. On a song I'm working on, or should it be synth bass and how that should go? And just, yeah. just lucky in that sense. And you've, it solves, it, you've had to piece it together. It solves a huge works, problem, yeah. which is don't ever, ever have to hire a bass player. Yeah. You know, as oh, yeah. a bass player, you yeah. know this. Yeah. The most important thing on any song is probably the singing and the bass. Yeah. Although all the other things are important too. But I never worry about that. I sometimes worry about guitar parts like, yeah, I might need someone else to come in and do some magic up top because that is a thing that's just it could go anywhere guitar parts could go anywhere and it could change a chorus by -hmm. having something special and i'll try i'll do it and i do it and a lot of times it works yeah but with bass we don't have that problem yeah it's just it's good to go it's taken care of it's so that i don't know maybe that's a skill yeah so to young budding producers who are musicians maybe that's something like whatever your main instrument is you know hone that yeah be a good keyboard player. Be a great bass player. No, you know, a lot of it's, it's funny. I remember when that Freddy Johnston song came out. I know you got a bad reputation. And I was like, who played drums on this? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's Butch Vig, the producer. Oh, God. there's really? no fills. It's like there is, but there's that, 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 that. It's an incredible sound. It's not bashing. It doesn't matter. That song is incredible. And then I yeah. think about another huge song. I just went to see Michael McDonald play the uh. other night. And they played What a Fool Believes. And the drummer on that was the producer, Ted Temple, Templeman. And yeah. it was no fills. Yeah. They, they had a drummer. They had two drummers in the Doobie Brothers. But the producer played. Uh, Can't Always Get What You Want by the yep. Rolling Stones. Yep. Jimmy Miller, producer. Not Charlie Watts on drums. The producer played drums. Who knows where Charlie was? But <laughs> so sometimes you know the break, simple simple approach yeah. is the right approach. That's not to saying that it always is that way. But uh, I wish I would have had this conversation twenty years ago or whenever. Whenever I was first like getting into the line uh, into the path of when I first started thinking, because that was my initial thing. I'm, I'm gonna play bass. That's my thing to play bass and just hone in and focus on that. And really looking back, I mean. I'm still, I'm not, I don't regret any of that, but just that one deal being really narrow minded and not, not opening myself up to a, a bunch of other stuff to later in life yeah. was, that is the one thing I'd be like, oh man, I wish I would have known. Well, I do feel like out. when I do see people that study their one thing, yeah, like my friend Jim Anton, who's incredible at bass, <sighs> yeah, but he doesn't play piano. Yeah. And... I'm befuddled at how he knows like what the changes are. Yeah. From just knowing bass. Yeah. He's the most incredible bass player and intuitive bass player around the changes and the styles and the genres and knowing maybe what to do. And I always think like, ah, how do you know that? How do you know like the four chord and what that even means? It's because he studied music. Mm-hmm. Went to Berkeley School of Music, you know, learned all that stuff. I never learned that stuff. I idolize people like John Bryan uh-huh. who who plays Guitar, keyboards, and bass equally as and drums equally as awesome as the other, and is just I mean he's spectacular. So I've always said that. like I just want to be like them. 
Yeah. So I need to have the basic drums scenario. I need to have the Okay, you said you said that a couple times when you were talking about your studio, like coming into this studio and seeing that, or I want to be like them. Do you remember like a moment in your life when you saw that and you thought, I could do that for a living? That's what I, that's what I, I mean, want to do. To be honest, when I was 15 in my basement with a four track, I had a drum set. Yeah. A Kent bass, oh, a yes. guitar, an acoustic, and a, uh, syn- uh, what's that company? Sequential Circuits Prophet Six Track, my first oh. synthesizer ever. You know, this is like 1983 or something. And I mean, I was terrible at music, but I'm like trying to remake We Are the World. But uh, my uncle kind of got me onto this. My uncle, you know, had a big, big disco R&B band. So he was my hero growing up and I kind of followed that path. So he kept giving me records like Shaka Khan and Marvin Gaye. And, yes. But it, was, it wasn't until I met some you know other musos my age that were like you need to check out dylan and mm-hmm. phil oaks and the pretenders well you know yeah. pretenders, pretenders had some hits but you got to go deeper and it was that period of going through and trying to remake those songs yes. learning uh, learning by ear how to play yeah you know the new human league song or yeah. something oh that's and cool. i was probably wrong i had the wrong second chord or whatever but yeah. i just was trying yeah and i think those skills that that listening and dissecting being able to hear the string line in the third verse of what a fool believes by the doobie brothers coming in with that one note just like hearing it always to this day i hear it i'm like oh incredible and it's this one string line those kind of things are what excited me as yeah. a kid about music and record making and not even knowing what record making was yeah, yet. Yeah. And then when I got into a studio finally just being like I'm going to do all those things now, you know. Yes. So and it was oh. great. It was fun. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, that's so fu- How by the way, how are you doing on time? I've had a couple more questions. I have I'm I, all good. I got Oh it. man, this rules. I um uh, you were talking about getting excited, and I'm fascinated by by the people that I look up to and I respect. Um with a question that's been on my mind lately is like what keeps your engines going like what keeps you pushing forward now and so i'm wondering for you like what gets you excited about music now is there like what are you is that something you have to be intentional about just doing it makes me excited i mean rob it's this weird thing where over the years it it started off as a as a passion that really no monetary return and then it turned into 10 bucks an hour Mm. you know at yeah. my studio doing demos and then it turned into a producer fee and then it turned into making royalties that change your life and help you buy a house so, but it's also you know a really fun fun yeah. job i don't feel like i don't want to be there ever yeah so there's that um what keeps me excited i mean sometimes i'll hear a new song by somebody and like i want to make something like that or i really like that mm. kick sound or something, you know, uh, I love working with super talented people. That's the most inspiring thing. Young yes. artists, especially when someone comes in and they're amazing and they're not jaded and they're stoked to be here in my studio and we're collaborating, you know, at the highest levels and speed. I Just that that is super inspiring to be yeah. around. And especially when they have... When they're on the up and they have a good team behind them, like a manager, label, they're touring, et cetera, I really, that fires me up, knowing that what we're doing right now is going to come out 
in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Whenever this record's coming out, someone's going to promote it. Yes. Might be some marketing behind it. My work it. isn't just going to go yeah. flatline. I mean, and just I got to be honest, you, yeah. a lot of that does. Yeah. You know, the, okay. the vast majority of what, I, what majority of what I do work on d- kind of goes by the wayside. I mean, it comes mm-hmm. out maybe, or it's, it's just, that's the nature of the last f- maybe five years of my career has been that most of it's been indie. Yeah. And the major labels are rarely hiring anyone to produce pop rock records, which seems like my forte. So now it's, it's a different thing. And also with the home recording thing, a lot of people are doing their own music or, and also there's all these young guys coming mm-hmm. up that are amazing at producing and the, the world stay up later changed. than me yes. and all those things. So, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I don't know. I love, I, I love having a studio to yeah. come to every day. I come to work whether or not there's a session today. I mean, yeah. I have, I do a lot of mixing for outside art or people that don't even live in Minneapolis, just yeah. long distance clients. And I really enjoy that. I, I I do. That's exciting to get a track you've never heard before and make it sound better. That gets me excited. And also, every once in a while, you'll you'll get this call out of the blue. Hey, this band from England wants to work with you. Oh, no better phone call than that. Yeah, we're going to England to make a record. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, that's exciting. Is that is most of the stuff that comes in all now just friend of a friend relational or do you have to or do you ever have to like put feelers out there anymore at this point it's never been that the feelers thing doesn't really work like calling a band you like and saying hey uh coldplay we would love you to work you know my manager Mm -hmm. who i've had for 20 years frank mcdonough he's amazing and has has put out feelers occasionally but rarely do they come back with anything what does work uh, just being who you are, making records and fielding the offers that come your way. Just when you think you're the guy that's perfect for this band, some other band in a completely different genre mm. calls you and says, we love that Backstreet Boys song you did in 2005. You know, would you work with us? You're like, yeah. But uh, it's just, you don't know. I mean, I have my discography is so wide ranging Yeah, that... I've had people that love, you know, I, yeah. back to the how do you get work. I mean, a lot of it is cold calls based on resume. Yeah. To yeah. my manager saying, hey, we lo- we, you know, we'd love to work with John because he did A or B. Yeah. A lot of it is, some of it is a cold call to my manager by a, by a, by a label or management saying, Got this new artist. It's a 16-year-old singer. She's from Florida. She sounds like Kelly Clarkson. Who do you got that would be good for this? Yeah. And he'll say, I think John Fields would actually be good for this. Send them some of my material. Oh, uh, I know some of those records. This might work out. That's another way it happens. Yes. Oh, man. See, that's another thing I wish I would have known back in the day. I I just went through a period where it was, I mean, this even, this was, through two and a half three months ago where i quit like a really stable like just about every musician musician in minneapolis plays at church on the weekends mm-hmm. i was at the biggest one getting paid the most for every weekend i was in town and i was like this is no longer the right place for me right now i quit cold turkey not knowing what the next thing was and i put feel i uh, put fielding notes out like hey by the way just heads up i'm this is a change and i it was the right decision at the time i thought 
because it just was letting friends know. But at the same time, I feel like that did almost a disservice to me by doing that. Like, hey, if you know of any work, it's almost the people hire people that are busy. Well, if you're talking about like social network yeah, yeah, style. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always weirded out by, hey, I'm available uh, to to mix your song. I mean, anytime I see that. Yes. Which somehow those come in my feed all the time. Yeah. I'll mix your song. I'm like, no way. <laughs> That what's someone that I'm not hiring the yeah. dude mixing my song. Yeah, yeah. And his name think... is his name is like you know Mix Master <laughs> Five Thousand or something. Yeah. You know, no. Yeah. But so, but whatever. I'm sure. Th- yeah. They're great. Yeah. But I'm not. I mean, I'm not being advertised. I, I guess I'm being advertised. It's funny. My feed. That's a whole other thing we can talk about. Just like you look something up and then the next thing you know, or even say it. Yeah. Out loud. Like we probably said some stuff even today that all of a sudden there's going to be like advertisements coming my way. Oh yeah, okay. Um, but is that what you're talking about when you said fee? Feed. Oh, your feed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, your feed. feed. Of stuff coming up. Yes. Yeah. Man, that is so, weird. No. That gets... so if you announce, hey, I, I'm I'm available for base work. Yeah. I mean, it can come off as needy and you know, but I don't know. Does it work? I've never done it. I yeah, know. yeah. It, it's Did just it the bouncing. It's the, it, no hell, no. I didn't. It, it for some. No, actually, no. It, it. I didn't do it. It wasn't a major blast. It was with my closer friends, but nothing came. Right. Nothing came out of it. I would imagine the best way for you to get a new gig. Yeah. A good one. Yeah. yeah. Is by word of mouth. Just yeah. Like you, you have love to be Rob. doing it. He's yeah. awesome. This dude's cool. He's great in a van. He's great on the bus. Yep. Uh, it he, is the weird amalgamy of you. Yeah. I, on one hand, you don't want to be the guy that's like, "Hey, I want to. I'm available. Yeah. Uh, I want to mix. I want to mix this album. Yeah. I need work." But on the other hand, the letting someone the like the touring world. I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, you know, I'm I'm thinking about jumping back out on the road for like some pop stuff. I'm just putting feelers out there. Yeah. There's. I wonder if there's a a way you can do this. This is a purely selfish question. I wonder if there's a way you can do that that's not, doesn't leave like a bad taste in Well, there was, mouth. back in the day, I don't know if it's still going on, there's a couple in LA when I lived there. Yeah. People would ask me all the time. Like, I've gotten people jobs, gigs, yeah. with major artists yeah. because like, like I'll remember like, the Jonas Brothers said, we need a keyboard player. Do you know anybody? And I'm thinking, racking my brain, going, hmm. So I call Michael Bland, and I say, in Minneapolis, and I say, hey, Jonas Brothers are looking for a keyboard player. You got anybody? He's like, yeah, Ryan Listman. I said, all right, good enough for me. Call Ryan Listman. I'm like, dude, Jonas Brothers looking for a keyboard player. Can you be in New York tomorrow? He got the gig. <laughs> yes. So yeah. people have called me like that. I remember I... I, I I I steered this kid, uh, Drew Taubenfeld. He was the brother of a band I produced, Evan Taubenfeld, in the Blacklist Club. Phenomenal musician, had just graduated Berkeley School of Music, and Demi Lovato was looking for players. Yeah, I said you should you should get in on this. So he got in on that. He ended up being her MD and so forth. Yeah, but so people ask me, and I'll yeah. say this guy's great. You should get him. Yeah, not that much. Yeah, not yeah. that often. Yeah, but I feel like that's how. That's You're going to get happens. recommendations is by someone else. And then, of course, there's the other bass player thing. Yeah, yeah. When you got Jim Anton saying, I can't do it, but you should call Rob. Yeah. That happens. That's where the majority, I would say the majority of my Minneapolis gigs come from Jim Anton saying, I can't do it, but you should call Right. <laughs> Obviously, that's a load of bullshit. Well, uh, But it is. I totally hear you. Yeah, this isn't my thing. And that comes with like... 
that comes with maturity. I feel like the older we get, there's not this holding on. There's this, yeah, the right things will happen for me. Yeah. And so if I'm not the right person for this gig, someone else is. I want the right person right. to be with this. Yeah. It's endless. I mean, there's plenty of work. It's just, it's, but being a freelance is, it's, I mean, I only know that. So. Man, do you, I, I'm curious about your, you mentioned something uh, a minute ago about trajectory. And I feel like there's this assumption with wherever, wherever you are, maybe at the beginning stage of your career, there's an assumption of how career trajectory works. And you were talking about, you know, I played the albums for free. I got, I got $10, then the royalties, whatever. And it's almost like I view the assumption is this, almost like that business red line is to the right and up. Like it just, every gig keeps getting better. It just stuff, uh, it just, you know, this artist leads this artist. Each one is bigger and bigger as but your then career right is going after up. that, Rob, you are straight back to where you were before. And that's why I'm wondering, if, okay, is there ever, was there ever like a season or a situation where you were in where you just did, you felt like you were just crushing and then you felt like you were like back to square one ever or you it had to rethink? It wasn't a day over a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but or, yeah. Yeah, what did that, what was it's, that? I'd it's love a to weird sh- feeling. Well, a lot of it, you're just seeing like, you know, what did I make last year compared to this year? Yeah. And I still worked every day, still went to a studio every day enslaved on music. Yeah. But I made half as much. So my manager will always say, people get accustomed to their income. So you have a couple great years and, and you know, you start having fun with money and buying new gear and vacations and whatever, but... All of a sudden, the next year, you realize, oh, I'm back to how it was before. Like, I mean, to be honest, you know, my height was probably 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11 for me. That's, okay. you know, 8 to 12 years ago. And that was also seemingly the height of the music business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that has anything to do with, with it, but, you know. It's streaming, and now we, as we all know, it's like the the numbers are the the royalties on those are super low, and they, that needs to be changed. But it used to be that you'd buy an album on iTunes for ten bucks, and you know, producer gets part of that. Well, now that doesn't happen anymore, so everything's lower, meaning budgets are lower, meaning expectations of you not being that expensive are becoming a reality, and you have to roll with the times. Yeah, so I'm sure. You have that too, as as a you know roving bass player. It's like, look, we only have this. We want you. This yeah. is what we got. If yeah. You don't want to do it. We understand, but this is where it is right now. And of course, as that artist grows and you start playing larger venues, and you realize that their guarantees are being bigger, you could ask for a raise. Yeah, you know. But same with me. So I I have a sliding scale. I mean, to be honest. Yeah. So. Yeah. What did what did the self talk when you're talking about you had the, these mass the massive seasons everything changed and say there was if you could think of like a year where it was like the biggest difference between those those years are what did the self talk look like did you ever did you ever question if this if there was a future in this or did you just know beyond a shadow of doubt this is what it looks like right you mean now when it was bad or when it was yeah, good yeah if you yeah in your career when it when it when you had at some point in your career where you had some sort of what you would ever you'd consider success and then things slowed down for a bit, whether financially or work wise, what kind of self talk what did that seem like that, for you? There, there, 
there's that weird thing that happens at three, four in the morning, you're laying in bed and you're kind of worrying because I have a family and, yeah. you know. How many kids do you have, by I the one. way? Okay, so yeah. when we lived in LA, we had also had a place in Minneapolis. So, you know, that's expensive. And, and I have a studio that I'm renting that is empty for two months when we go to Minneapolis yeah. for the summer, but I still yeah. have to keep it and still have to pay for that. Yep. But I'm just so, essentially paying a holder's fee. You know, I, I'd say when this when when times are harder, my worry meter goes up higher, and yeah. it's I guess that's stress maybe. But but I also you're still working every day. There's still work. It's just like the the percentage of what you used to make is so much lower. But you're still doing it, and I'm not complaining. It's yeah. you know it's always been enough to get by, and yeah. I anticipate that'll be the case. For, Is that just for part of the, the ups and downs but, of that? You just yeah. learn to find but that I mean, median. No, but but what you don't get by having a desk job and a, a day gig. Is the possibility of a lottery ticket that I have experienced a few, which are you know bands that blow up. What are lottery tickets in your mind that you? Well, hit? Every, every every project I do is a lottery ticket. Yeah. So when oh, I work with someone, I'm that's so good. Every with the, project the, with I the do. possibility that this could be the one, and I find that the newer and more debut of an artist they are, the more excited I am about the possibility that this could be big. Mm. Is there a band that comes to mind that you had the biggest risk reward difference? No risk, or honestly. not risk, but like like no one saw this coming. Like you, or can you kind of? I can tell you, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. with Switchfoot, I didn't know. Yeah, because I didn't know their history. To be honest, uh, okay, they we met a week before we started. Yeah, we met at an SIR. They were playing showcases for for labels. We they invited me down. Their manager. Invited me down to see them. I saw them play a three-song set in front of like eight people. Afterwards, they're like, hey, great. You guys want to do this? I'm like, really? We're, okay. Back with that. So like, well, we can start easy? next Monday. But we only have 11 days to do it because then we have to go on the road again. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we made that album in 11 days at, oh, geez. at uh, Sage and Sound Studio in Hollywood. Just hit it for 11 days. Yeah, one song a day. Yeah. And uh, that became, you know... If you know that record, yeah. Meant to Live, Beautiful Letdown, Beautiful Letdown, yep. This Is Your Life, More Than Fine, yeah. 24. The whole the whole album is a crusher. Yeah, one, Every a, tune. one a day, yeah, one a day, yep. Oh man! First day we did Meant to Live. By the end of the day, I remember we made you know I printed yeah. off the rough mix. I'm like, this is this is good. Yeah, yeah. this is gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know anything about. They weren't even signed. Yeah, they yeah. were not uh, to to a major. They were signed to a, a Tennessee label. Uh, indie or an indie Christian label, I believe. Okay. Called S- Sparrow. Sparrow or Star Song. Okay. One of those. Six. But they but they were being shopped to yeah. majors, and that's and after we finished the record, that was part of the ploy of that by the manager, which was brilliant. It was like let's go make the record first, and then I'm going to shop it around, and then he signed with Columbia, and that was that record and then it came out and i didn't know for i mean i was already i mean the day we finished mixing that i flew off to boston to make a record yeah two months i'm making that album i'm not even thinking about switchfoot at this point they're on the road doing something but a year later my manager calls me and he says hey they're selling uh 30, units a week what <laughs> so that was a big surprise for yeah. me and a life-changing you know financially and just career-wise and now somebody now there's music that people have heard of that i worked on yes yes so that changes everything and that's literally i you know i'm not saying i was better 
I, I'm still the same guy, is what I'm saying. But that's another thing about the music business. It's kind of like, what have you done lately? Yeah. There's a little bit of that, like, hey, yeah, we'd love to work with you, and we know you're good at this, but what have you done lately? Yes. So that does affect how people look at you. Oh, man. And that, I think, probably, you probably see that on micro versions on a daily basis in that people, we think we're making decisions. We think we make decisions out of complete, pure... Um, uh, rational, looking at the big picture with when it comes to music for just our whether maybe it's just we're making decisions with our ears, uh, but so many decisions are made uh, because of outside stimulus. So for that, there is yes, your skill has not changed, but now because you've done something that someone recognizes, you they go, oh, he must be legit. But it's funny, just the sense of people these things influence outside of your. It's, it, I don't know. For me. Uh, you well, seem to have such a more balanced. You were saying about like uh, how your resume could. Yeah, affect. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably guilty of it too. Yeah. Because if you don't know someone and what they've done, they're just, uh, I guess, there's. It's hard to judge anything, even though they've probably been doing it forever. Yes. If you if you've never played on anything I've heard, then I don't know how you play. Mm. And if you played on something big and it's. Maybe not so good, like some big top 40 hit that we don't respect. Yeah. That has no real bass on it, but whatever. It's I played the synth bass on this Chainsmoker song or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, I don't really care. Yeah. Because it's not some sort of groundbreaking new thing. But uh, somebody else says, it's the guy who played synth bass on the Chainsmoker song. Gotta get him. So... You know, we're all guilty of it. We're all not guilty yes. of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've thought this way about someone you don't know, and then you hear that, oh, wait, they played on that uh, song? Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and now I, they, you're looking at them a little differently. Yes. And it's kind of the how do you val... If you if you don't have any understanding of where a person lies, then that can tell you, oh, their experience. Or I've seen it for me. Some I hate... I've just tried, been trying to balance where do I... When I'm meeting people for the first time, right, in music, where do I find the balance between just saying, hey, I'm Rob Morgan, I'm a bass player, just start fresh? Or where do I have to be like, hey, you know, I'm best known for, you know, a lot of people know me from touring with Owl City and doing these stints overseas and doing these massive pop tours. Yeah. So that kind of balancing, do you ever have to, do you ever second guess or have to think about where you're throwing in, where you need to kind of put a little... It's funny, only... When you go to like <laughs> a little turbo, when you go name. to your kid's school and you're talking to like other parents, when we lived in Hollywood, you know, and you're like talking to the other parents and they're like, So, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a record producer. I've got a small studio over in. Well, what have you done anything I've heard of? And then that's when you're like, Oh, what uh, am I going to say? Yeah. You ever, you ever heard of Switchfoot? Yeah. No. You ever heard of the Jonas Brothers? Yeah, yeah. The Jonas Brothers, Disney Channel. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's the Jonas Brothers guy. Yes. Sometimes you have to do that, in, yeah. especially when you're outside of the music zone of, you know, because it's, I don't know, most of my life is hanging with musos and yeah, people yeah. who understand our bubble yes. that we're in. Yes. But honestly, you get this outside ecosystem. of that, nobody's heard of anything I've done unless yes. it's like, you know, I did a Miley Cyrus song 10 years ago. I know her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, then you're like... but yeah, you know, in terms of selling myself, uh, I have a Spotify yeah. playlist that has a lot of things I've worked on that you could most roll likely through and see something's things. gonna hit with you. Yeah. You know, my manager I think has has uh, a website with 
lists. Yes. And if you know, if you're a muso guy like yourself, you're gonna know a lot of that stuff. You'll probably be like, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. I've heard of that guy. Oh, yeah. Well, seems pretty pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, you know, but I don't know if it gets you jobs or it probably does. I don't know because yeah. I've never hired someone based on that. Yes. It, so, yes. But I don't hire people really. Other, than, I hire musicians, and I like to know that. Uh, give you an example. Like, let me gush for a moment about Steve Gould. Uh, yeah. What? Cannot stand the guy. Oh gosh! Okay, oh, I know yeah, you hate just him. Just kidding. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> Steve was probably he was number he was the first person I the first episode for this podcast project. Right. My listening back to that conversation is cringeworthy for me <laughs> as I'm like learning. It's like I'm learning how to speak with other humans for the first time. Uh, when well, I love Steve. I think you're doing great. Yeah. Now. But I, oh I didn't know gosh, Steve. I'm, I I sweating. I had moved out yeah. of Minneapolis in 2002. Yeah. And he came up after that. So, you know, then then I, uh, I remember someone, I think he got the Owl City gig, who yep. I really loved that record, but there's no drumming on it. Yeah. Um, and I know you were in on that. So, but, uh, so I was, and I never saw the band live, so I don't know yeah. what that is either. But, you know, then I kept hearing stuff. And then uh, when I moved, when I got to town, I can't remember how it happened, but... That's what at some point it was like Corey Wong. It's like, dude, you gotta, you know, Steve Gould. I'm like, again, I don't yeah. really know anything he's no played reference. on, so yeah, I just, don't really you don't have the reference. I don't have no yeah. reference. I mean, yeah. I hear he's pro and all that. So yeah. we finally did a session together and I was blown away. Attitude, sound, choices, musicality, all of it. Just yeah. top level. Because I was going to ask you if you didn't say, I was gonna, what was it that blew you away from it? But it's this whole package. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a whole package thing. But I mean, first and foremost, it's the, the playing. Yeah. Because I mean, I know many. I mean, I, I I know many amazing drummers, and I've used tons of them. Mm -hmm. And you know, so I I you know, I I we could. That's a whole other conversation we can have is just drummers, but um. You know, in Minneapolis, I come. I moved to Minneapolis three years ago, and in terms of like somebody I can call that can cover like a lot of genres, I got my Michael Bland, because I've used and worked with Michael for twenty five years on all kinds of stuff. He's played on so many different songs, none of them funk. Yeah, everyone thinks he's like this NPG funk guy. No, he played on "Crazy for This Girl" by Evan and Jaron. He played on my Backstreet Boys songs. Yeah. He played on Michael Bland's synth bass. Him on synth bass. Best crushes it gets me so pumped yes. so but you know um the last couple years in la i was working a lot with this guy aaron sterling who's a fantastic yeah. drummer that has a home studio that you can kind of roll over there and he'll just track a couple and he did stuff for dan rodriguez's yeah. thing you you flew in some of the tracks from him yeah but he did yeah, it at home, at home yeah. we didn't we you know we're on facetime yeah. Um, you know, my best friend Dorian Crozier lives in Nashville and has an incredible home studio. He plays on a lot of stuff, has historically played on most of like the rock stuff that I've yeah. done in the past when I get to hire a drummer. Yeah. So it's, you know, I already have a, a, a top level A list of people I can call to cover this, uh, what I need. But um, so it's, there's not a lot of room for someone to, for me to be like, and Noah Levy, another one where, you know, all yeah. the time coming in, being awesome, just amazing. So, um, but Noah's on the road a lot and so forth. And then, of course, I moved to town. I finally meet up with Steve Gould and he leaves and he moves, oh, to, he moves Phoenix. to Phoenix. Oh, he moves to Phoenix. And uh, 
so we've done a couple things together and it was through Corey and yeah. I was always super impressed and I tried I'm, I'm trying to get Steve in on stuff and yeah. it's scheduling now because he doesn't live here so yeah. um, and he doesn't quite have the home studio set up without yes. like advance notice and the problem with it with me is I need it like tomorrow it's that speed thing I kind of want to like speed. I'm Let's cutting a get song on done. Tuesday yep I'm going to send you two songs. I would love it if you could do them, to, you know, Wednesday morning and have them to me by 11 a.m. Great. Yes. But uh, so that's helpful if you can have that as, as. But whatever. Oh man. Okay. That's something nobody talks about. Is that the speed turnaround thing? If you're going to have a home studio, the people that are hitting you up, the it seems like the biggest positive for the biggest pull for having your own space is that you've already got it set up. I don't have to set up the drum stuff here. You just turn around and get it to me super yeah. fast. I mean, that's no one's talking about speed. That's important. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, and that the sounds are good and so forth. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't want to wait till Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just play it. That's the problem is if you don't do it soon, I'm probably just going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm already cemented into that idea and, but no, certain people I will wait for because I know it's going to be good. Yeah. I know it's worth it. I know I can't do that. I know I can't... Uh, I know... I mean, it's casting again. It's, I, I know the right person for this song has to be this person on guitar or on keyboards. Like, I'll, I'll bring oh. in, like, Kevin Gastongue to play on stuff. Yeah. Because I just know that it's that's his bag. Yes. Which is any bag, pretty much. But... You know, certain certain, monster, certain ones go to Tommy Barbarella because yeah. he's it's it's same but different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a it's an interesting dilemma to have so much talent. Yes, and it's also in my brain like who am I thinking of right now? It's not like I have a A list, B list. It's not really that. It's just like who's right for this project, and then who can get it to me by tomorrow or th- or Thursday? Because I have, you know, I'm working with this artist. They're here from Toronto. For four days. They're paying for my time. I can't it's all, wait yes. till next week. Yes. So I kind of need it tomorrow or we're going to have to find some other issue, you know, some other way to solve this problem. And so a lot of those, that that's the fate yeah. of uh, of like who's available, yeah. who answers the phone yeah. or their text fast enough. See, that's another thing I, nobody, nobody talked about uh, when I was younger is that I had this assumption that when you, whoever's making decisions, whatever it is, whoever's the gatekeeper, whatever the gig is or whatever it is, whatever the situation, that that person has a Rolodex in their mind and it's categorized by skill. Whoever's the best at that instrument and they think of the top best person and if that person's not available, they work their way down. But decision making doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen decision making of the best guitar or preamp in the studio doesn't doesn't happen that way there's so many other yeah who's coming to your mind right now who who that did is I a weird thing of like how i mean i will in the middle of the night just remember somebody that was is the perfect we got to get that guy on yeah. this and i will it'll, you know like sometimes you know one of my secret guys is phil solem because nobody plays guitar like that nobody in the entire world plays guitar like him and sometimes it's the exact thing i need it's he's not the guy that that plays the same thing twice Mm -hmm. but it's always brilliant and it's always fresh and new and sometimes your song needs that sometimes it needs like in the box i need a set of power chords i need the high (laughs) ones i need the eighth note dotted delay yep i need the high u2 part i need single octaves and whatever so i mean but that's the easy stuff the hard stuff is what i call making music not just playing the chords or just going down the pipe like this is what this is. 
It's the making music part. Like, take some chances. Show me some melody. And that's where, that's another level of session player. Like, there's mm -hmm. this guy in Nashville that is just unbelievable named Ilya Toshinsky that plays guitar, banjo, mandolin, dobro. The most incredible musical mind and just constant fountain of great melodic ideas can also do the whole right down the pipe stuff. Yeah. But really, people that are exciting to me in terms of session players are people that will stick their neck out there and give you something new that's not just the the way to do it. Like the yes. way, okay, sometimes it's like the regular beat, but sometimes I want a weird beat. Like I want one of those indie Brooklyn beats. But you know, it's not just a four, you know, four yes. on the floor or whatever. It's some strange pattern. And I like someone who brings that you know, Something them. I wouldn't think of if I were programming yeah. this, or yeah. So I don't know. I mean, some that's, that's kind of how I pick people that stick people. But it also is this like who's fresh in your brain, and it's all like, did I just see their post on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, I, know. I mean, I don't yeah. know. To be honest, yeah. all those There's, things are influencing. Yeah, what what There's happens? So many things, man. That is funny. I do like it. Think a lot of that comes down to what you said earlier about confidence. The the gumption to stick your neck out there and try something new in a high tense situation like a studio situation where you're expected to work fast. Everybody is waiting for you. If you're especially if you're a drummer, uh, yeah. yeah you ever have been that in Nashville, Rob? I like to and done any session or studio stuff there with like pros down there. I because that is a life changing experience for you. If you could be in on that and see, what well, yeah, tell me, tell me about that. Just, Can you like think of like the first time? Well, where think it blew about that. Think about amazing parts being spilled out at will, all in tune with incredible tone. Yeah, with the was right there a specific session that you were that comes to mind that you were like, holy crap, you're just oh, the first session I really did down there that blew my mind was uh, for this guy Mark Martell. And he's the voice of I love the Mark. Queen yes. movie, yeah. and so Mark and I have done two or two albums, at least two albums together. Yes. Um, the first session that we did, we did it in my studio in L.A. But then he's like, "Would you ever come to Nashville and work on? Let's go to Blackbird." So he's, I said, "Sounds great. Let's get some. Let's get a session players together." Mark plays incredible piano and guitar, incredible, like just top level. And I was playing bass, and I said, let's get Ilya Toshinsky, <laughs> yeah. Tom Bukovac, who's another okay. incredible guitar player in Nashville, and then Owsley's buddy, um, Chris, on drums. And he played with uh, Keith Urban at the time. And uh, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. And we but, um, yeah. got together, and those that's the first time I did a session with Nashville guys that had never heard the song before we play them the little demo they're charting it out on paper and i'm watching that number system go down and all that and and he, make copies of that chart we all kind of step up on the instruments second take that song was done that first song was uh i can't remember the name of it but it's the it's mark martell the prelude ep and okay i think in one day we cut Two, th two or three songs, and then the next day we cut two songs. 
Yeah. And I was kind of converted at that point. Like, Oh, man, that's interesting you say that because I've always had this theory that there are two kinds of producers or mindsets in that producing world. That one is someone who is hiring uh, people to play the ideas that they have in their head. So I'm going to find people that can do what I hear. And then the other is I'm hiring people that I really like their taste and their tact and yeah. their, their decision making. So I'm going to hire you and let you do you because I know that's going to add something really cool. And it sounds like to me where I used to think there was two kinds of different people that thought that way. Now it's almost like, Oh, you have that within you too. Well, There's different that. situations that you both experience that in. I mean, it's when I started, it was there was no budget to hire anyone. That's so yeah. you know. So okay, well, I guess yeah. I'm gonna play it. Yeah. Or like, would you do this for nothing? Yeah. You know, or fifty bucks. You yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. wasn't really that kind of thing. And then when I started making budget records on labels and so forth, like I'll never forget because I, I was a little bit of a control freaky guy like i need to you know be in control of like what's being played especially when we were on analog and you only have two tracks for guitars you can't be taking all these ideas and you know keeping them on playlists to be able to go through later you got to pick that's yeah. part of the commitment thing maybe growing up in the tape era maybe helped me may do that because i only had 24 tracks to work on and you only have oh. you can't take yeah you can't use the take three takes ago. It's gone. Yeah. So you got to say that's good enough or what if it went higher and then pick it and go. And that's part of that. But when I went to the first record, I made a really big budget record with a band called Evan and Jaron at the Village Studio in LA, which was the first time I'd ever worked at a yeah. really expensive place like that. And I, I kind of co-produced with the band and T-Bone Burnett. If there's one thing T-Bone taught me, it was just to let the musician do their thing. And if you don't, mm. and I remember him saying, if we don't use it, it might make great reverb turned yes. down. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, but don't form, <laughs> don't, you know, and I don't necessarily agree with this concept because yeah, yeah. I do like forming a musician's yeah, yeah. ideas. Like, you know, and a lot of people want that. They want direction. But in yeah. his case, he was like, let these guys come in and do their thing and don't edit. Yeah. Don't comment. Just, just let them take three takes and if we don't like it, Put them on another song. Yeah. If you don't like that, put them on another song. So I learned about that a little bit to like let go a little bit. Yeah. But that's when we had like lots of money to throw at it. <laughs> you could just say, and, yeah, yeah, come and on. And now we're try back something. To like, yeah. We don't have money to throw. But we do. Yeah. Now we have pro, pro Tools and Playlists and yes. the ability to change the key after you left. Yes. But still use your bass part. Yes. So, you know, it's very flexible now. Why don't but, you send me five guitar tracks and we'll pick two of them? I hate yeah. that. I like when someone just sends me one that's great. Yeah. I okay. don't want to pick three. I don't, I mean, I hate sifting. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I love but, it. But, you know, I, that's just a, some people love that. I yeah. love doing that. Yes. Send me, send me something ballsy. Yeah. Send me your best idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, or two. That's cool. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I want to be I want to be respectful of your time. The, I want to end it with this, uh, and I want to hear uh, if you don't mind. I want to hear about how you met Will Owsley. Mm -hmm. did, how did you guys meet each other? So first of all, how did you guys? Okay, so Will Owsley uh, loved his record. In okay, nineteen ninety eight. It came out the first Owsley album. Yeah, which is that the stereo? Oh no, the stereo. Oh no, the radio. It? Oh no, the radio. Yeah, that song came out in ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. And uh, I got a my manager. I mean, I've always been a you know Beatle, Jellyfish, yeah. 
queen guy. Yeah. So my manager, Frank, sends me this. This is back in the day when they would have promo CDs with no jacket. Mm-hmm. So it's like promo. Owsley. All it says on there is like Owsley and maybe the song titles. Yeah, yeah. So no credits. Yeah. He's like, you got to hear this. You're going to freak out when you hear this. And he sends yeah. it to me just as a fan. Yeah, yeah. Sends me, so I get it in the mail. I, you know, there's no MP3s at this point. And I, I stick it in. I'm like, this is incredible. It was a Tom yeah. Lord algae mix. I remember that. Great. That's sealed the deal on TLA for me in terms of mixing. Um, what a great oh. drum sound on that song. Yes. Chris McHugh is the drummer, by the way. Yes. Oh, so, my gosh. Uh, on that song. Oh. And the bass player's name is Millard Powers. One of my favorite drummers. Millard plays bass with the Counting Crows for the last 10 years now. Millard Powers. Millard Powers is the bass player on that band. Okay. Or on that album, Owsley. Okay, yeah. But Owsley, I had just heard that record, and I just was a fan. And I remember hearing that he lived in Nashville or something. So I called this other guy that I was a big fan of named Ross Rice, who was in a band that had since broken up called Human Radio. A one-record band that just, whoa, what a record for me. It came out in like 92. Yeah, and I and he lived in Nashville. And I said, yeah. Ross, do you know this guy Will Owsley? He's like, yeah. What do you mean? He's like, have you heard this album? He's like, there's a song. Oh no, the radio. He's like, dude, I co-wrote that song. What? Uh, Are you kidding? Yeah. He's like, you know the bridge part? Yeah, where it sounds like Utopia and Todd yes. Rundgren. That was my part. Oh. Like, oh my. This. So, I I. That was like a weird coincidence, yes. but it One wasn't like give me his number. I need to call him or anything. Time. I just was a fan. Yeah. Um, years later, I'd already moved to LA. Was producing a kid's record from Oklahoma named Graham Colton, and we're in the studio, with the session band, cutting a song. You know, a couple, two, three songs a day for like a week in 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 the the pass studio. And we're just going through, we're probably doing 18 songs. Yeah. So we get to this one song, and I was like, who'd you write that one? You know, each one was like, the last one was like, I, who'd you write that one with? Uh, that one I wrote with Richard Marks. Cool. Who'd you write, you know, because he had just done yeah. all these like all-star co-write sessions over the last year. And uh, we get to one, and I said, who'd you write that one with? It was kind of a fun game to play. Yeah. He's like, uh, this guy named Will Owsley. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know him? Yeah. He says, yeah, man. I said, give me his phone number right now. Give me his email right now. I wrote this guy an email. Yeah. I just said, hey, man, my name's John Fields. I'm your biggest fan. Uh, uh, and I remember he just called me that night. Yes. <laughs> and we talked on the phone for like three hours uh, about everything. And just what a music fan. And what, I mean, he had all, he had just, he, he had seen so many amazing things besides his own solo career. You know, he was in a band with Zach Starkey. The original band was Millard Powers, Will Owsley, and Zach Starkey was The Semantics. Oh. Signed by John Kalodner at Geffen. Yeah. Well, not signed. Actually, it was Deborah Shalman that signed them. But it was a Kalodner kind of thing. Yeah. And their manager was Peter Asher, who was is, is a big producer manager. And so I, he saw all that. Then, of course, he got drafted to be in Amy Grant's band. He played with her for a long time. Then he got drafted by Mutt Lang to be in Shania Twain's band, and he did the first tour and record, not record, but the first tour. He was her harmony singer and guitar player for a couple years there. Then he kind of went back to his solo career. Then that kind of fizzled for a little while. Then he made a second record. Then he started doing co-writes, blah, blah, blah. I met him around then. I started pulling him. Yeah. I was like, dude, you got to start playing. He started playing on my... 
Demi Lovato album I was doing, I remember, and just what a pop mastermind. Yeah. And I, I you know, we lost him in 2010. Uh, you know, truly miss him. I, I think about him all the time. What was it? What was it? Because when we were like checking out uh, your the, some of the guitars, and we were talking, you were talking about him about like being friends. Like, what is it? What was it about him that made him your friend? He always used to say, "He's like I'm a I'm a fast friender." He used to say because within the first two, within the first week, we're like talking on the phone every day. It's like a new girlfriend or something. Yes. You know, he's like two-hour oh, phone man, totally calls. Totally have that, yes. About everything. Yeah. Not music. Oh, yes, music. Yeah, you know, yeah. This drum sound, this All, restaurant, yes. that thing, this place I went <laughs> I know, once, totally. this awesome story about a horse. Yes. This is crazy. Are we just, going out now? I think we are. I love yeah. him. But, yeah. you know, he lived in Nashville. I lived in L.A. at the time. And, you know, when he finally got together, it was, you know, it was just it was like brothers. Yeah. So... Oh, you know, I cool. think he was a fan of some of the Switchfoot records I had made and so forth. So he kind of knew me. It wasn't like I wasn't, you know, a nobody to him. I think. Yeah. And you had I think, common ground. Yeah. And yeah. and we just remember I was touring with Soul Asylum at the time, and he's like, "You got to meet Millard. You guys are playing a gig together. It was, it was it was Soul Asylum and Crowning Crows somewhere, and it was at one of those Mystic Lake casinos yes. within like Connecticut somewhere. <laughs> and I finally nowhere. I just go up, and it's one of those things to this day. Yeah. If you meet a friend of Owsley's, it's on. Oh yeah, like there's a there's a bond. Yes, it's like because he was that way with everybody, and it yeah. turns out that he was that way with everybody. Yes, totally. So it's really intense, and and so when I met Millard, I'm like, it's on, man. You know, we're just it's we're bros. Yes. immediately. I wonder if there's like a like a line between in the, in, right down the someone's personality, like a personality trait that you almost can't connect with. If you were friends with him, oh, that yeah, we almost get each I mean, other. He, like you have he almost was instant... a connector, really, of, of you know Malcolm Gladwell style, yeah, connector. Okay, just somebody who you know puts people together, and you need to know that guy. And oh, that's cool. So, but just as just what a muso. What a muso. And what a songwriter. And just what a singer. Just everything. All of yeah. it. I remember him sitting down at the piano at my house and playing uh, basically the entire album Gaucho by Steely Dan on piano. And I'm like, you're a guitar player. He says, yeah, <laughs> but I, I spent yeah. a lot of time learning this Steely Dan material on the Gaucho album, which is both of our favorites. Yeah. And I was like blown away. Yeah, just yeah. Just like, whoa, you play piano? But like jazz, yes. But just this, just these songs. Yeah, so, just these ones. Just but that's the, you know that. Uh, love the dude. Yeah, the, here's what's made this cool, and this is why I'm thankful for this. You have been so open with me. It feels like, and I, I, I do mean this seriously. Whenever I've uh, a few interactions or me emailing you in the past or in this, it feels like I'm. It's been like the older brother getting to talk to. I never feel dumb asking a question. No, I want to be respectful of your time. And I have to pee like a racehorse right now. This is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact 
and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. If you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show... I'll show. <laughs> also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan. Whatever you 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 know the drill. All right, enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. That's it, thanks. <laughs> uh, I love that crap. All right, have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Say the most random thing you can think of. No. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>